0: Okay, Uh, we have a treat this morning. Heather Kamira is going to be continuing our Go series. So please welcome Heather. Well, um, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah. My little girl told me yesterday she's like, Mommy, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. She's really excited. I don't think she knows what it is, but I think she knows that it exists. So, um, so was anyone here on Friday? We got to actually celebrate Fat Tuesday on a Friday. Were you guys, some of you guys here? It was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed being here, and I got to watch again my daughter just play around in the middle and dance while she was worshiping. It was really fun. We had a really good time. It was nice to actually do something as a whole church and come together, eat good food. I think I still need to pick up my dish. Adam, did you get our dish yet? No. <laughs> we brought some food. We forgot. Well, since the beginning of the, of the year, actually, we've been doing this series called Go. And it's teaching us how to follow Jesus, right? How to be disciples and how to make disciples. And disciples are just simply people that come alongside of one another and they walk with, with you in your walk toward Jesus. And as we've been doing this series, I've had this picture come to mind a couple times of me um, in my first car. Anyone remember their first car? I mean, come on, like your first car, you remember your first car. And mine was, wait for it, it was 1998 white Honda Civic, pretty amazing. I loved that car though, it had a sunroof and it was a manual transmission. So I bought the car before I knew how to drive it, because I was determined to learn. And I was like, well, the only way I'm going to learn how to drive this car is if I buy it, and then I just have to, and then, you know, it'll happen, right? Well, it stayed in my driveway for I don't know how long, probably embarrassingly long, because I was intimidated. I didn't want to look like a fool. I didn't want to, you know, the awkwardness of trying to learn how to do it and stalling out. Well, my little brother, who's six years younger than me, he actually learned how to drive my car before I did which is slightly embarrassing. And what's funnier still is that he actually taught me how to drive my own car. And it reminded me of this picture of discipleship, because here he is sitting in the car right you know, sitting in the car with me in the passenger seat, and he's coaching me, and he's encouraging me, and, and I'm stalling out. And I mean, he was a great teacher. The student, however, she had some issues. I was crying at one point. I'm like, I'm never going to get this. I won't be able to drive my own car. And he was so great. He just was real patient with me, and kept encouraging me to keep you know, shifting. And, and I, kept, I kept getting smoother and smoother, and I stalled out less and less, and uh, finally learned how to drive it. So. Um, I see that as just a wonderful example of what it looks like for us as a church and us as just with friends and with the people in our small groups to come alongside of each other and encourage each other. And when things get hard and there's tears, that you keep, you keep reminding them, like, it's okay. Like, you can do this. Like, Jesus is here with us. Like, let's keep going. And I think a lot of times we need that reminder. We need to have those people in our lives that are helping us walk this life out with Jesus. Now, you may know this, but In the world, there's a lot of people out there that actually say that they're Christians, right? There's a lot of people that will actually identify with the fact that they're Christians, but they don't actually walk with Jesus, right? They're not really disciples of Jesus. I think a lot of times Christianity for most people out there can be just kind of a concept. It can be kind of from the head up and it doesn't really affect their lives or their heart. I think of the concept of God, and and bear with me here, I think of the concept of God or just the idea of God or the idea of Christianity as something that's just lighter than you. You can control it, you can shape it, and you can fit it into your life. It doesn't change you, right? And you still carry most of the weight, you still carry most of the glory. You fit God into your plans and your goals and your agendas. But God, as we know, is so much bigger than that, right? He's so much greater than that. And he's not just a little accessory to our life. And, and I like to think of it like an orange or a pie, whichever you like best, uh, where we see our Christian life or even our spiritual life as just a section of our lives. You know, I go to church on Sunday and, and that's really it, or, you know, I, I you know, go to Easter services, and that's really it. It's just another part of our life, like our relational lives or our vocational lives. But when God looks at our life, he's like, no, I want the whole thing. I want your whole life. I want to be the rind around your entire life. I want to be all for you. A living reality of God in our lives should be heavier than us, right? It should actually rearrange our beliefs, and it should change us. It should occupy our time, and God becomes our agenda. And he's not an accessory to our safe, little, comfortable, tidied lives. So today, we're going to look at what it looks like to be a disciple, to actually walk this out, to let him be our agenda. And I hope it just challenges us and encourages us to take another step toward Jesus. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we know you're here. If worship is just such a sweet time, thank you, God, for coming so close to us. Hmm. Would you just stir our hearts up? Would you open our eyes to see you? Hmm. God, just be, be, help us to be aware of your presence, aware of what you are speaking to our hearts today, God. I pray you would come close, that you would help me speak what you want me to say, and you would be with us, dear Dear God, thank you. Amen. Well, I've broken down just being a disciple into just three parts. So something real, real easy for us to see, kind of the, the phases of being a disciple. And, and the first phase would be the invitation, right? We have to be called. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will take you out to be to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, John of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So I want to give you a little background to this. When we see Jesus calling a disciple, he always says what words? Follow me, right? Follow me. Well, that meant a lot back then. For a rabbi to tell you the words, follow me, had a lot of weight to it. So I want to give a little background here. For the Jews, education was really important. They started out really, really young, memorizing the Old Testament. They highly valued, of course, the Torah, and they started memorizing it at a young age. And as you grew, you got tested and tested and tested along your life to see if you were the best of the best. And if you were the best of the best, you would then present yourself to a rabbi, and the rabbi would ask you questions and test you. And if the rabbi believed that you had what it takes, he would say two words in Hebrew that every disciple would long to hear the words of acceptance, the words of invitation. He'd say, Come, follow me. Upon hearing these words, the disciple would then leave his family, leave his village, and follow the rabbi wherever he went. And so coined the blessing, which is, May, the, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi and the hope is that the disciple would follow behind the rabbi so closely that he actually just get covered in dust. Now, if you had what it takes, well, if you didn't have what it takes to be a disciple, the rabbi would simply tell you, "You know the Torah well, but you don't have what it takes. So go back to your village and work your trade." So, for us, this scene makes a lot more sense, right? Jesus is the rabbi, and he says two words that every Jewish boy would have longed to hear. Come, follow me. And look at the disciples. They're not these typical disciples. They're working their trade, so obviously they're not the best of the best. And yet Jesus calls them. He says, follow me. What he's telling them essentially is that I think you could be like me. He says, and for them, I think that's why they probably left their nets and followed Jesus is because, oh my gosh, somebody actually thinks that I'm good enough. Somebody actually believes in me. Somebody believes I could be a disciple. What an honor and what a call. This invitation to follow is not based off of who we are, right? Thank God. (laughs) It is based off of just his goodness and his love for us. He says, I want you to come, follow me. I think it's wonderful that God is continually inviting all people. Nobody's disqualified. Thank God, no one is disqualified from coming and following him. I think his invitation is constant, and it's for us today. He's asking you, and he's asking me, will you take another step toward me today, today? But what's interesting of an invitation, and, and it's not like Evite where you can just ignore it in your inbox and just not, you know, look at it or, or not respond. Um, an invitation requires what? A response, right? So in Matthew 4, we actually see the response of the disciples or the fishermen who were becoming disciples. At once, they left their nets and followed him. And then down again in verse 22, immediately they left their boat and they followed and their father, poor guy, and they followed him. They left everything. They left all the work that they had done, probably all the fish that was still in the boat, they left. And they followed him because it was an honor. So what should our response be? What should our response be when when Christ, when you feel that beckoning, when you feel that, that call in your heart, like he's asking for a little bit more of you, for you to just walk with him today, what does it mean for us to follow him in our lives? And I want to just highlight three things under this invitation, because they're important for how we make sure that we're still following him. And I think they're kind of guardrails for us to continue to make sure that we're, we're where he wants us to be. So the first thing is that he calls us to reorient what we value most, what is most precious to us. I think what, what we don't realize at times is that what we treasure in this life really, really matters. It affects our hearts. Our hearts will actually naturally gravitate toward the things we value most. And we always take care of the things we really value, don't we? St. Augustine says, living well depends on the reordering of our loves. (laughs) Not our priorities, not our life, our loves. We can see that our deepest devotion is by how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what makes us smile, what gives us joy, what claims our energy. These are things that we realize, oh, I really value that thing. So there's a a time in my life where where God was actually calling me to give something up. And it wasn't Lent. (laughs) It was a random time where I just sensed the Lord was asking me to give up Pinterest. Anyone know what Pinterest is here? We women know what Pinterest is, yeah. For the guys that might not know, no, I don't want to segregate here, but it's an app on my phone that is a repository of all these DIY ideas. And it's fashion and it's inspiration for interior and design and crafts and anything really. And I I loved kind of once in a while going on Pinterest and I'm like, Lord, why would you want me to give that up? I'm not like doing it a lot. But I was like, okay, I'll I'll not go on Pinterest for a while, and and I realized something after a week or two of just kind of avoiding Pinterest, because I wasn't going to really give it up. I was just going to take a break, you know? (laughs) I wasn't that committed, honestly. But I took a break from it for a while, and I realized something. I realized when I went into Target, I didn't walk through the clothing area anymore. I didn't have as high of a credit card bill. I realized I didn't care as much what I wore in the morning or that I had that perfect outfit ensemble. I realized what I didn't realize before was that it had gotten a hold of my heart. And me, getting on Pinterest, even just for a couple minutes a day, was reorienting what I valued was actually showing me, oh my gosh, I need a scarf. I need the scarf that completes the outfit because that is, I mean, look at that. I need that. <laughs> and for $14.99 at Target, I was just swooped in with no questions asked. And, and uh, I realized, man, Lord, that was, that was your grace. You were revealing something to me that I realized had gotten a hold of my values. In Luke 9, 23 through 25, it says, then, He said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, to someone who doesn't necessarily understand Christian growth, this sounds devastating, right? (laughs) I mean, what does it mean to, to hate your life to find it and to lose your life to discover it? But what Jesus is actually demanding here is not the death of our joy and freedom and potential and Pinterest. He's actually saying it's the birth and the reality of your real joy and freedom and potential, Through dying to yourself and saying no to your just instinctive, natural urges, I'm actually going to free you. So no longer you are bound by your own desires and wants, you'll be bound by my desire and wants, because those are the best things for you, and that will truly, truly free you. The call to be a disciple is a fundamental redirection and reorientation of our lives toward our affections On God we must make sure that our supreme treasure in our lives is ultimately the Lord that he is our first love that he is our pearl of great price but there's a price right there's a cost when we say yes to Jesus we're probably gonna have to be saying no to something else like our sin our own wants and desires our own self-righteousness Our own comfort, maybe even our control, our love of this world. I don't know about you, but it is—it is really hard for me to do the things that I know I should do that I just don't feel like doing, (laughs) and—and it's really hard for me to do those things. Lent started, um, or was starting for the 40 days at least, are starting on Monday, and usually people will fast from something, right? They'll give up something like Facebook. I want to warn you about something. When you give up Facebook, be intentional about filling it and filling that time with something else. Be intentional about it because naturally, and I can speak from experience, I gave up Facebook once and I just replaced it with Instagram. So I just was on Instagram like 10 times longer than I would be because I didn't have Facebook. (laughs) And I realized, oh my gosh, naturally, I'm just going to replace that with another habit, with another addiction, with another, you know, thing that I want. And I wasn't intentional about saying, wait, that time needs to be now God's time. That needs to be a time where I make space for him. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. That is a quote I love from St. Augustine. because It is so true of our lives. Our souls... I don't know if you realize this, but our souls are limitless in the sense of what they need. We are constantly needy. We need, our lives need more, and we're constantly desiring more. Our bodies, they wear out, they tired out, but our souls inside, we just always long for something else. Do you realize your soul will never, ever find rest until it finds its rest in God? That's pretty powerful. You know, I love that our souls are needy because it points me back to my need for God. If I was satisfied alone on the things of this world, I would never need him. But the things of this world don't satisfy, do they? Only he does. There's a time where God, um, he was calling me to do something I didn't wanna do, what I didn't feel like doing. And I'm talking, this was something, a dream and desire I had had since I was a little girl. I had always wanted to stay home with my kids when I had kids, if I had kids. And at the time I was pregnant uh, with our first little girl and I realized real quickly that I was probably going to have to go back to work after she was born. And I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled with that one. I mean, that was like a, I don't know if I can give this one up to you, God. This is one that seems good. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Why, why can't I have this? And I remember I was driving along and I was just venting a little bit to the Lord <clears throat> and he was so sweet and just said, Heather, Heather, do you you trust me? You don't know what saying yes to this might do. It's like, do you trust me that I have your life, your daughter's life, your husband's life, your family's life in my hands? Do you trust that this might be the best thing for you? I'm like, what? The best thing? But this doesn't feel like a best thing. And he's like, I know but I'll give you everything you need to do it." I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, so two years, two and a half years later, longer than that even, I can attest to the fact that he has. He has given me everything I need. And can I just tell you about some of the really cool things that I've even seen in these last two years? I've watched my daughter get um, She's had two people in her life that have taken care of her on a couple days during the week, and they're dear friends of ours, and they, we, call her, we call them our, their, her nannies. And they have both taught her things that I realize now, man, I could have never taught her. And the kindness that they have. And, and one of them speaks Spanish, and they were teaching him Spanish. And, and uh, teaching her Spanish. I'm like, I would have never been able to do that. And so I see my little girl blossom under the care of not just me. And what's really cool is because my husband's going to school, he takes care of her two days a week. And that is amazing. To watch my husband spend two days, whole days, solely just taking care of my little girl, it has blossomed their relationship. The two of them are so close. It's just the sweetest gift. And I, I wouldn't have ever seen that. If I had grabbed onto my desire, I would have actually, it wouldn't have been the best. It's been so sweet. And for me, can I tell you, for me, I, there's days where I, I don't necessarily love my job, I'll be honest, but, I love praying, God, would you give me what I need? And would you give me purpose here? And boy, has he answered that prayer. He has given me certain people that he said, those are the people I want you to just do life with. I want you to just invite them out to lunch. I want you to just be real with them. And I have watched relationships deepen, I've had the coolest conversations. I kind of am like, I love being. In the world I love getting to do life with people who don't know Jesus it is so fun <laughs> I love it and he's giving me such a heart for them in a way that I would have missed out on so really what Lord is saying when we when we wrestle in our heart with our desires with our values he's saying will you trust me will you follow me me the second the second thing I want to look at is following Jesus also means that our identity should be rooted in him so not just the things we value, but who we are should be rooted in Christ. It matters what our foundation is, what we build our lives on. And it, it talks a lot in, in, in scripture about what a cornerstone is, but I don't think a lot of us really, unless we're builders, know what a cornerstone is. And, and they say, it's Jesus your cornerstone? And it was what held up the rest of the building. And if the cornerstone was off, the rest of the building was off and probably would topple. And what he's asking is, is is Christ your cornerstone? In Psalm 62, 1 through 2, he says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. And that's a hard one. Does our confidence, does our security rest in him? Or does it rest in, in our performance? or in our personalities. The problem with finding your identity in your performance is that when you're successful, and when you do well, it goes straight to your head, and you're like, sweet, I'm so cool, look at me. But when you do poorly, and when you fail, it goes straight to your heart, and it devastates you, because it's all on you, right? While we should do well for God's glory, what you do should not be your value or your worth. Without our foundation in God, it's easy. It's really easy to find our security in other things, right? Our identity in other things. When my soul is not centered on God, I will define myself probably by my accomplishments, by my physical appearance, by my friendships, by my title, by my family. But when I lose those, I lose my identity. And it's like the house built on the sand. When the storm comes, the house is just just blown away. We want to build our lives on a rock, a rock, something that can never be taken from us, right? Our identity is not something actually that we have the power to actually construct. And this is an interesting thought. We don't discover it through another personality test, which I just took on like a couple days ago with my husband, because I'm like, see, we're total opposites. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't happen. Our identity doesn't happen or we don't find it out by another makeover or by another, you know, conversation with a counselor, it is only, and David Benner actually says this, he says, we do not find our true self by seeking it, rather we find it by seeking God. We find it by seeking God, and why is that? It's because he's the one who made us, and man, he knows us better than even we do, right? Right? I mean, he has challenged me and, and, and formed me and shaped me in ways I never thought I could. But he knows me, and he knows what he's called me to and what he's built me for. The third point is, following Jesus means that we need to remember what he's done for us. And we just took communion a little bit ago, and I realized, Lord, what a, what a gift that our church does communion every week because it, it, it allows us the remembrance of what you did on the cross because that is what should motivate us what motivates us what motivates us really really matters in psalm 63 1 through 3 david says you god are my god and earnestly i seek you i thirst for you my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water i have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And you know that David has tasted and seen the goodness of God. And that's what motivates him. Our motivation is crucial to our walk with Christ. It's important not just what we do, but why you do it. And the difference between being a disciple and just a moral religious person is what motivates you. A religious person says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God, by people, by whoever. A disciple says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I met up with a friend recently and she actually told me an example of this. She she said, do you remember when you first met me? And I'm like, yeah, I remember, I met you in small group. And she's like, did you know I wasn't a Christian back then? I'm like, what? (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, she's like, I'm really good at playing the game. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, the first time I came to small group, I realized, okay, this is what you wear, this is how you talk, or you don't say that, and this is what you do, and this is, okay, okay, I get it. And she's like, I'm just really good at assimilating into to different, different groups of people. And she said for the longest time, she wasn't a Christian, but she looked like it. And to everyone else, we're like, oh yeah, welcome, you know. What was interesting is over time, she said, over time I started being a little bit more raw, a little bit more myself. I came out from behind the mask and I'd show you a little bit more of myself. And I realized you guys still accepted me. You still were okay with me. I could actually be myself with you. And she said, through our small group, she came to not only know the acceptance from our, from our own group of people, our friends, but She actually came to know the acceptance of God was not based off of her performance, but based off of his grace. What he did for her, totally undeserved, totally unmerited, and he wanted to be in a relationship with her. And it changed her life. It totally changed her life. She actually is, she's now a pastor of small groups at her church, and I've watched her blossom and grow. I'm like, man, I wish I grew, grow at the rate that you do. You just Man, you're so captivated by the love of God. And it's just because, she's like, I just never knew anything else. I always thought I had to earn it. I always thought I had to perform to a level to be accepted. And once I realized I didn't, it freed me. This is the thing that should drive us, right? His grace. His sacrifice on the cross. The good news, right? It's good news. It's all that's been accomplished for us. Timothy Keller says, to the degree we behold the free grace of God, and you meditate on it, and you let it become a holy fire in your heart, you can handle anything. But if you've lost that, you're slipping back into moralism and religion. Charles Spurgeon says, my faith rests not in what I am or shall be, or how I feel or know but in who Christ is and what he's done and what he is now doing for me. Man, this is why we do life, right? This is why we go to church. This is why we actually tithe. This is why we obey him. This is why we read our Bible. It's because we want to be where he is and we want to be where he's going. And wherever that takes us, okay, so the, the second phase of our, our walks with God and, and in this, this life of discipleship is, is the invitation of God, and then it's the journey. And that's the main bulk of it, right? The journey of walking behind Jesus. The dust, right? <laughs> the dust all over us. When, we, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's longing for so much more than just, hey, we're going here, want to come with me? He actually wants to do relationship with us. And I remember hearing this a long time ago, but you don't ever really ask somebody to come live in your house if you want them to believe what you believe, because they'll get to see a real picture of you. But I love that Jesus was like, no, I want you to get the real picture of me. I want you to do life with me. And that is how you'll adopt and understand the truths that I'll teach you. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk in the manner worthy of the call you have received when we choose to do life with god what is it it's a walk right left foot right foot left foot right foot it's day in and it's day out it's praying it's day in day out it's reading you're reading the word it's day in day out obeying it's day in day out going to church and tithing and committing yourself fully to to serving it's a rhythm it's a rhythm. It's the, the in and out of the kingdom. It's the filling up so that I can have something to give. Filling up so I can have something to give. And what's really cool, and I, I want to make sure that I've done this before, is I've said, well, God, I can't go out. I can't go because I don't have anything in here. So you have to fill me up. And I just stay in that place for a really long time. Have you ever been where you're like, oh, no, I think I'm just going to keep filling up on God Well, what actually happens is it's on-the-job training. He wants you to go because he has so much to teach you. And the things I've learned the most about God are the things that I've experienced with him while I'm serving. I mean, I can't tell you how many lessons he's taught me while I thought I was leading the small group. Oh man, the people taught me more than anything, than any lesson I ever taught. And and it's on-the-job training. When we go and we serve, we gotta remember that's where we're gonna fill up too. Sometimes he gives us exactly what we need in the moment we need it. And it reveals so much, and it teaches us so much. What's interesting about a journey, and I think this is really important to kind of talk about, is that a journey shouldn't always be hard, right? Now, I, I look at spiritual disciplines, and I talk about spiritual disciplines with friends, and they're, they're like, oh, that just sounds hard. Like, it's going to take a lot of energy to do that. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, but it, it actually is really nice. It actually creates this peace and this calm and this, this space in my life for God. And what's interesting is, yes, spiritual disciplines are a piece of our walk with God and growing like prayer and reading the word and silence and solitude. But really, in essence, it's whatever brings us contentment and joy and confidence in our everyday life with God. So really, anything can be sacred if you bring God into it. If you say, God, okay, I want to do this with you. I no longer want to just do this by myself because I have to. I want to do this with you because he is all about the relationship. He is all about doing life with us. I think what's also important, and another word that we don't use about the journey, is that the journey is an adventure. The journey is an adventure, right? And we don't use that word enough in church. I think we need to use that word more. Um, it is an adventure because of the places that God wants to take us and the things he wants to show us. You know, when you're on a journey and, or let's say your friends on Facebook, they go on a journey, they go on a trip, and you can just see all these amazing pictures of like where they went. And you're like, oh man, I wish I could go there. But that's, that's the kind of life we have with Jesus. We get to go places, exotic places, where we never thought we'd go do things we never thought we'd do. And the scenery is always changing. It is not a boring ride when you are strapped to Jesus, when you're yoked with Jesus. It is not a boring ride. <clears throat> I had a, a pastor and a mentor who actually incorporated a spiritual discipline in his life. Oh, well, I'll, I'll share that story in just a second. But... Um, Another point I wanted to make, too, is that scenery, the scenery not only changes, but the seasons change. The seasons change. We have winter, we have spring, we have fall, we have spring, fall, summer. (laughs) Um, So we have lots of different seasons in our walk with God, right? So that not only is the scenery changing, but the weather's changing. There's so many dynamics. It is not a boring ride, the third part of our of our uh, phase of our being disciples is not only the invitation the journey but the fruit that is that bears that is born born bears in our life um, it's becoming like jesus right and we actually get to see this and this is actually an indicator that we are disciples galatians 5:22 says by the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does being a disciple make us more humble, more gentle, more kind? Does it impact the practical details of our lives? Are we getting softer? Are we loving people well? Are we making ourselves available to serve? In John 15, 1-5, great verse, great section of, of verses I am the true vine and my father is the gardener and he cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it can bear even more fruit. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you remain in me and I remain in you. No branch bears fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. On our own, anything we do, both internally and in the world, will have no eternal worth or lasting value if we're not abiding in the vine. I think the Lord infuses something that is so powerful and supernatural when we're walking with him. He says, what you do and who you are and the things I'm doing in your life are going to change. And not just for two weeks because you're just really trying hard, but I'm actually changing you. I'm changing you. So I'll tell that story of my, of my friend, the pastor. He actually just incorporated a real simple 10 minutes a day of just spending some time in God's presence. And he was very intentional about not doing anything. He's like, I'm not going to pray, and I'm not going to praise, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to sit there as much as possible and just dwell on God, just think of God. And he said it was really, really hard to do because, as we all know, our minds are full and just scattered. And sometimes he'd write down the thought and then go back to just God. Here I am. And he was like, he used the analogy of a sunflower just basking in the sun. And I mean, 10 minutes a day. It's not. It's not like a lot, but he was consistent consistent. And so he did it for a long time. Six months later, his wife finally said, Hey, something's different about you. (laughs) She said, there's something I can't put my finger on. I feel like you just have more peace. You just, there's just a restfulness about you. And until she actually pinpointed that and said it, he's like, you're right. Oh my gosh, that's the fruit. And look at it. It was just 10 minutes a day. But it took a long time, didn't it? It took a long time to see that fruit. But man, what, what's really cool is that if you ever met this guy, you'd be like, wow, that's like one really peaceful guy. He's like, you just feel peace when you're in his presence. I mean, I feel peaceful when I'm in his presence. I'm like, this is a lasting change. This isn't just a, I'm gonna will it to happen and then you just two weeks forget about it and don't do it anymore, you know? It's, this is lasting change and there's such hope in that. And when we do life with God, Things are changing within us. Our job is simply just to to abide in the vine. Now, I want to share something that Adam and I have been doing. We made a New Year's resolution to have one date every week for the next year. So, 52 dates in 2016. And The reason why we did that was because we started to realize that we weren't being intentional about connecting with one another. We were like two ships passing in the dark, and our lives are very full right now and very crazy, and this next year we knew it would be even crazier, so we're like, oh boy, if we want to not, in 10 years, feel like we're miles apart, we better start now and actually just take a little bit of time. So it's like two hours on a Friday night after my daughter's in bed, we'll just sit and talk, but we're intentional about it. And can I tell you that over the last even just month and a half, I'm like, wow, I feel like you're on my team again. I feel like we're actually doing life together, even though we're not seeing each other anymore or less. It's just that I feel connected to you. And it's been a wonderful exercise for the two of us and, and something that we're just looking forward to now. Okay, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? We're going to watch a movie this time? Um, it's been really fun. And I think for those of us, those of us that have tasted and seen the goodness of God, I don't think our, our, our issue is going to be necessarily um, overt rebellion against God. I don't think we're going to be like, you know what, today I'm just deciding I'm not going to follow God anymore. I don't think it's going to be that instant for us. I don't think we need to fear that as much as we need to fear just our forgetfulness. Our, forget, our forgetfulness to connect with God, to be with him, to do life with him. I think left on our own, and, and this is something I've been just wondering about, but left on our own in our own natures, I truly believe that culture and couples and Christians actually naturally push away from oneness, push away from connectedness. I don't think it's, it's of us to know how to connect. I think it's of the Lord. And I think he's the one that integrates us back whether it's within ourselves, or within our communities, or with Him, He's the one that, that draws us back and connects us into that oneness and relationship. I think for us, day by day, we can walk against that current, the current of our natures and the current of our cultures, by just simply choosing to follow Him. I want to end with a, with a song, um, lyrics to a song. I'm not going to sing. I wouldn't do that to you. but. My mom and dad used to listen to Keith Green. You guys know who Keith Green is? And they used to listen to him all the time when I was little, but I, gosh, I haven't listened to him for years. And I was driving along and I started humming this song, and I'm like, what is that song? And so I had to look it up and find out what it was, and it was a Keith Green song that I had probably memorized as a kid. But the words, man, as an adult, just struck me and um, really just have carried this verse with me uh, or the, these verses. we'll call it a psalm, right? Because it's a song, so um, I wanted to read this in closing. So this is the song, "O oh Lord, you're beautiful." It says, "O oh Lord, you are beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. I want to take your word and I want to shine it all around, but first, would you help me live it, Lord? And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown. But my reward is just giving all the glory to you. Hmm. So why don't we go ahead and stand up? And we'll, we'll just end our service with some prayer and some ministry time. I, uh, God must really love you guys because I don't know all of you yet really well but he, he talks to me about you <laughs> because I'm like, Lord, I, you're going to have to let me know what you want to do, what you want to say to your people. And he was really clear about just two things. And I'm like, Lord, okay, I'll share them. Um, he said, I want to, to lift the burden off some people today. That sounds really good. I could use that. I want to lift off some burdens and if you feel like there's a weight on your shoulder, like you've been carrying something, like there's just a sense of burdenedness, and I just I want to invite you this morning, today, to come up and, and, and give it to him. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He doesn't want you to live with that on your shoulders, and he actually, this verse came to mind. He said, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the second group, um, I just was an invitation, an open invitation to just follow, follow him to today that, that the, in this moment you have a choice and you can say, okay, this moment I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to say yes to you, God. I'm going to follow you. And, and I think that there's some things that he wants to, to maybe ask you to also lay down so that you can walk and stand and, and follow him, whatever it would be that you would want to lay down. And, and you might know what that is. So if you want to go ahead and start coming forward for prayer, I know JT is going to lead us in another worship song here. We're just going to have some time to minister to one another, to just bless one another as we lay things down before the Lord. This is your time with him, okay? This is your time to lay things down and say, God, I don't want this to burden me any longer. I don't want even my time with you to feel like a burden. I want it to be light, God. So come on forward. Come on forward and we'll, we'll pray for you. Um, if that's you, if you feel like that, that touches your heart, like that invitation to lay things down before the Lord today, or that invitation to say, okay, yes, God, I want to follow you. Come on forward.
1: So we just need some people to come forward and pray if you've been a follower for 50 years or 5 minutes you are our ministry chain so men pray with women wham- men women pray with women Thanks. we need some more women prayers starts to tremble at the light that you bring and when you worship you we love you and we'll never stop can't live without you Jesus we love Get enough, all this is for you, Jesus. I get a sense that there's maybe some people here who are maybe afraid to come up, but the Lord is saying it's not too late, come up and get prayer. I just feel like He's inviting you to take one more step closer to Him. I feel like He's calling you into something and just taking, saying, "I'm gonna take that step. Just come forward and get praying."
0: If you're getting prayer just continue to to receive and uh, I'm just going to close this in a word in a prayer and and then we'll be free to go holy father thank you thank you that you're our father that we can come to you and that you long every morning to just be with us to do life with us God I pray you would soften our hearts to your invitation that you would open our eyes to see the ways in which you are pursuing us in our days and the ways that you are walking with us in this journey. I thank you, God, for not leaving us, for being with us. Mm, I just pray a blessing over everyone here in Jesus' name, and we give you this day and we give you this week. We praise you, God. Amen.